This is Rising Up with Sonali, and I'm your host, Sonali Kolhatkar. You can watch this program on Free Speech TV and listen to it on community and independent radio stations nationwide. Florida's latest death toll from Hurricane Ian is 103 and likely to keep rising. The hurricane was one of the strongest to ever make landfall in the United States, bringing catastrophic flooding, cutting off coastal islands from the mainland, electrical power to millions of residents, and causing nearly $50 billion of damage. Meanwhile, Governor Ron DeSantis, who as a congressman in 2013 had voted against federal aid to New York victims of Hurricane Sandy, is now petitioning Washington, D.C. for aid to his state. DeSantis has generally avoided discussing how a changing climate fuels stronger hurricanes and in the past had dismissed climate change as, quote, left-wing stuff. He also faces legal trouble with his recent political stunt involving trafficking migrants from Texas to Massachusetts. We turn now to Representative Anna V. Escamani, who is a member of the Florida House of Representatives representing District 47. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. So first, give us a sense of how severe the devastation is. For those of us, you know, I'm here on the West Coast. It's hard to imagine. So far, we've heard that 103 people have been killed, but I imagine that that's a severe underestimate. Can you give us a sense of how this compares to hurricane season in the past? I mean, it's clear to us are getting stronger and stronger and the impact is more deadly. Um, many folks have referenced Hurricane Ian to be Florida's Katrina. The impact in Southwest Florida is absolutely devastating. <coughs> Excuse me, I also am recovering from a cold right now. Um, so the impact has been absolutely devastating in Southwest Florida. We also saw intense flooding in the greater Orlando area. Um, in fact, parts of my district were just completely flooded. Folks were locked in their homes, could not get out. Um, we're very worried about the, the fatality rate continuing to increase. And indeed, uh, we're also talking about many communities who have already been negatively impacted, whether it's by the pandemic or facing financial insecurity, now being in more dire circumstances. So uh, one of the things that I know that uh, you have pointed out in your work is that when you have crises like this, the state needs to put a moratorium on evictions, for example. I mean, already there are people being displaced, but then to have them be displaced because of artificial reasons like uh, being unable to, una unable to pay the rent, how is that figuring in, in as Florida's recovering? It is such a great question. And one of my biggest concerns right now is that you have this first storm of Hurricane Ian, but you also have the second storm, all these additional variables and economic crises. And we're already seeing, especially in Lee County, many Floridians who are fearful of eviction, some who applied for rental assistance from the county program, but are no longer receiving updates because Understandably, the county resources have shifted towards search and response and trying to get power back on and help folks who are now in shelter who lost their homes. And so for those who still have a place to live, they're also potentially facing displacement if we don't look at policies that can stop the bleeding in different parts of, of this disaster response. So we have made the request um, of the governor's office to pursue uh, an eviction moratorium on impacted areas that have a disaster declaration. We've also been 
talking to our Lee County legislative colleagues and really encourage them to do the same because again, this will be a ripple effect. And we already know that folks have been severely displaced and, and others have lost their lives. And we wanna prevent this disaster from impacting others. And that means getting very, very proactive in addressing some of these second tier crises that can evolve from the first one. How are you assessing Governor Ron DeSantis's leadership? He has asked for federal aid. I mentioned in my introduction that in 2013, when he was a congressman, he voted against federal aid to the victims of Hurricane Sandy in New York, saying that you know that that they need yeah, he felt he feels for the victims, but they need to stand on their own two feet. Uh, here he is leading a state that is so devastated that he has no choice but to ask for aid. Well, it's very ironic because Governor Ron DeSantis previously attacked President Biden while also accepting money from the federal administration. In particular, Florida has benefited greatly from CARES Act funding. We have benefited greatly from American Rescue Plan money. Oftentimes when DeSantis talks about our budget surplus, it's only because of American Rescue Plan money. In fact, the latest tax break on gas that DeSantis has been uh, cheering about was paid for by American Rescue Plan money. 40% of Florida's state budget is federally funded. We are a state that receives and accepts a great deal of money from the Fed. So it's very ironic to see DeSantis uh, proactively request the money, but at the same time, unexpected, because he already accepts billions of dollars in federal money, despite his rhetoric and despite his voting track record. There's already been criticism around the evacuation timeline for Lee County, where officials are being accused of delaying that evacuation to the point where it was too late for people to leave. I am very concerned that the rhetoric around the term mandatory, because it is now uh, uh, connected to the pandemic and to uh, having to take public health actions like mask wearing or vaccines, that that conservatives are are hesitant to mandate things but in the case of a hurricane and of evacuation mandates are necessary at times of crisis and so um, there is a concern that the county officials waited too late others have been defending that along including desantis but I, I, I'm very hopeful that the response Hurricane Ian will not be partisan but we're already seeing for example the Secretary of State Cord Bird in visiting counties and deciding how to move forward with the November election, knowing that populations have been impacted, the counties he is visiting are red counties and he's not visiting more blue counties. So I am very concerned that there seems to be a preference in how um, I, the state is responding. And we're gonna continue to call that out because has been impacted by Hurricane Ian. So different political backgrounds, generations, economic experiences, and we need an equitable response, one that doesn't leave anyone behind. And we need to make sure that this is not partisan, that it's it's very much focused on what's best for Florida. What about the issue of climate change? I mean, this is very clear that the hurricanes have become stronger as a result of climate change. Ron DeSantis has dismissed tackling climate change as left-wing stuff. 
Um, and he's also failed to make Florida resilient because Florida is already hurricane prone. Now with climate change, you have stronger hurricanes. So you can't, it's harder to weather the storms, literally speaking. Uh, how do you see the state's leadership and, and the governor's leadership in particular on the issue of climate change? It is non-existent. And in fact, I have been the leading voice on setting renewable energy goals, on setting energy efficiency goals in expanding rooftop solar and battery storage. In fact, this past legislative session, the legislature tried to slow down um, uh, the growth of, of rooftop solar to benefit utility companies. And if, in fact, when you try to challenge Republicans on climate change in the context of property insurance, uh, they also ignore it as a real issue. But here's the reality. Storms have gotten much stronger. Storms require warm water to strengthen. And so as temperatures rise and sea level rise, uh, there's going to be more warm water for these storms to benefit from. And in fact, one of the worst hurricanes in Florida history that, that folks remember uh, vividly is Charlie. But Charlie, though, had similar wind strength compared to uh, this hurricane. It was nowhere close to the size. This was a huge storm that impacted every part of our state. We saw tornadoes pop up in South Florida, flooding all the way to the East Coast, storm surges that were several, several feet high and absolutely devastating to those who are impacted. And this will continue to happen if we do not take climate change seriously and build up our resiliency. And that does also mean reconsidering the construction of new development in these environmentally vulnerable locations. We know sea level is rising, so you cannot pretend as if it's the same situation of 40, 50, 60 years ago. Not only do we have new data to help us make informed decisions, but we have resources and technology and so many uh, new construction uh, architectural uh, styles that we can pursue to make our building safer and more sustainable long term. But it's very frustrating because this is not championed by the current administration and definitely not by Governor DeSantis. There were millions of homes that lost electricity. Uh, there's still, as of this recording, hundreds of thousands that remain without power. Did the uh, did did this, the limited amount of renewable energy that it is there in Florida prove itself during this hurricane? Did we see proof that green energy sources, solar in particular, can help make communities resilient in times like this? Absolutely. I mean, Babcock Ranch is a very good example. This is a planned uh, solar community that uh, did not suffer the same fate of others and really experienced uh, um, complete access to power during most of the storm. Uh, we also have seen individual homeowners use their electric vehicles as battery storage and basically uh, use it as a means to charge up their homes for several days. Now, remember, even if you have solar panels, if you, unless you have battery storage mm -hmm. or some sort of decentralized battery storage available to you, um, you're still stuck on the grid. And when the grid is off, you're off. So it does further emphasize the need for more battery storage 
but we do right, see just to clarify that you can have solar panels uh, uh but your the power you generate generally speaking most states have this setup i think california most cities rather have this setup um the the power you generate goes back into the grid and then you draw out of the grid which unfortunately right. centralizes the power but then it is also more equitable but uh but but battery storage can make the difference in times of crisis yes well said i mean the other issue too is that you cannot put power back on the grid if there are uh, people working on the grid because it could be dangerous to them. And so that's why uh, expanding battery storage and also decentralizing parts of the grid, allowing for there to be um, energy zones, for example, can really help to ensure greater sustainability uh, during these times of crisis or even having uh, public buildings be uh, solar based with battery storage so that those buildings can serve as locations that are energized and providing food, water and charging stations alongside internet access. And so there are so many more solutions that we can approach and having uh, solar on the ground already available can be a game changer in crisis response, especially in the case of hurricanes in Florida. How how has DeSantis's leadership and Republican leadership in Florida also um, led economic deregulation in a way that is going to be hurting Floridians? You mentioned the insurance industry. Is that an example? Yes. I mean, Florida has one of the highest property insurance rates in the country. And we also have to remember that many Floridians are impacted by Hurricane Ian do not have flood insurance. And so they will be leaning on FEMA for support. And of course, that's going to be, you know, the greater public paying for damages um, in our state because we do not have a governor that prioritizes these types of issues. Now, with that said, um, the high cost of property insurance has also been tied to many uh, companies just leaving the state. And so your options and the competition between different companies becomes more and more limited. And this is in large part due to the Florida legislature ignoring the problem. You know, Governor DeSantis, instead of prioritizing address these economic issues during the regular session, instead attacked immigrants, banned abortion, attacked LGBTQ plus kids, uh, erased black history. I mean, those are the issues that took up all the time during session. We had to have a special session and come back to Tallahassee in May to address property insurance. And the bill that my colleagues passed, we were a bill sponsor who is connected to the insurance company that we might not see relief for 18 months, if ever. It was basically a bailout for insurance companies and has not resulted in rates going down compared to what, it, what financial benefits insurance companies got out of it. And, and I would say one of the biggest immediate solutions we could pursue right now in Florida is expanding what's called the CAT fund or the catastrophic fund. This essentially serves as a reinsurance option for insurance companies so that we can at least eliminate the passing down of reinsurance to consumers. And of course, one of the largest insurance actors in the country and, and uh, a well-known name, State Farm, is one of the lobby forces against this because State Farm is also in the reinsurance business. Hmm. So it's pretty frustrating because we have solutions, but they're just not pursued because our legislative Republican leaders would rather continuously pivot blame towards trial attorneys and just ignore the responsibility of these insurance companies who are excessively denying people their claims. And so it's 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 a wicked problem. It's not easy to solve. But we do have some some solutions in front of us that just are not pursued.
And then you mentioned uh, that uh, Governor DeSantis was paying attention more to demonizing immigrants. He is in legal trouble right now for the role that he played in what's basically considered a trafficking scheme, uh, paying millions of dollars to fly undocumented immigrants from Texas to Massachusetts. How is that being viewed um, by Floridians? I, I mean, I if you know, I can only imagine how difficult that must be and how disgusted some folks must be to see their governor getting involved in something. They, they weren't even, you know, people from his state. They weren't immigrants in his state. He flew them out of one different state into a, another different state uh, while, right. you know, just days before the hurricane hit. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's incredibly gross. It's unethical and, and as you noted, uh, potentially illegal with criminal and civil charges to uh, wait for. Uh, myself, Representative Dottie Joseph, and a handful of other state lawmakers have sent letters to both Department of Transportation and Department of Justice asking for investigations. We are very concerned about the civil rights of those that were tricked and lured into these planes, alongside uh, concerns of trafficking, and even um, going up against the Civil Rights Act, which says you cannot use public money or federal money to discriminate, which is exactly what was done with Governor DeSantis himself admitting that that individuals were profiled to be Venezuelan. And again, these are folks who are fleeing uh, oppressive governments in other countries trying to seek refuge in the United States. And the fact that he went to a different state to do this is even more insidious. It also speaks to the fact that he continuously uses public money to campaign for president while ignoring problems that are happening in our state. Well, I want to thank you so much, Anna, for joining us today. Best of luck to you. Thank you so much. My guest has been Anna V. Escamani, who is a state lawmaker in Florida in the State House of Representatives representing District 47. I'm Sonali Kolhatkar. You can access this and other interviews on our website, risingupwithsonali.com, by becoming a subscriber. Find our audio podcast on iTunes and Spotify and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at RU with Sonali.